Yo, Stocks and Bars. We're going to be talking about how you can build your real estate empire. And I got somebody from my Empower Empire that's going to help you understand how to do that. Let's go. I got my click ready to use the money they got From jobs and courage and teaching them that it's not so hard I'm doing this, making investing pop Pilar, it's extra, you tuning in to Stocks and Bars Stocks and Bars, welcome to episode 9 Now, today who I have with me And my celebration of my friends Is a guy who I have known since I want to say it was 2000. 16 and yeah we, we got introduced through my wife so my wife and this guy worked together for a while and she would always come home and tell me about this particular individual and how sharp he was and the work he was doing with her and she said that our minds were wired very similar so long story short, I was like, you know what? I, I got to meet this guy. So we finally met and we just hit it off right then and there. And I want to give you credit right now that you are the guy that helped me jumpstart my trading again. Because if you recall from that meeting that we had, I was a little timid on trading again for a while because of an experience that I had. And it took me a little bit. And from that very day, I started working on a project called Project 180. And me and this guy did it together and we made a little bit of money and it was awesome. But fast forward to now, he's an awesome father. He's an awesome guy in general. And I just got to tell you right now that I love that you're in my life and I appreciate you. And Stocks and Bars, I want you to give a round of applause to my guy, Kyle McCorkle. Let's give him a round of applause, man. Thank you so much, Wayne. Thank you so much. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. So today we're going to talk about real estate. Now, this is going to be real estate part two. I had someone before on here, Jerron, and he gave the lowdown on a very easy way to get into the uh, real estate market with just purchasing duplexes, living on one half, renting out the other, and yeah. doing the same process. Now, you are the guru, is what I call you. <laughs> You've done this for a while, and you're the guy who's actually piqued my interest in getting involved in the stock market. So why don't you give a rundown on you know what you do now, how you started, and how you got to where you're at right now. Sure. So I guess let's get let's start from the beginning. Like you said, I, I met your wife. So your wife works for a client of mine. So I, I used to be in industrial engineering consulting. But basically what that means is I traveled around, you know, when I was in my twenties, when I was young, um, <laughs> <laughs> I traveled around at different, uh, different companies really around the whole country. And I was, you know, on Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, really just kind of helping them improve their processes. I got to meet a lot of really cool people, uh, work on a lot of cool projects. I, am, I have like challenges like that, 
and uh, just got to got to do some really cool things. I, I, I have the best memories of, of doing that. It was it was a great experience. I, I loved it, but things changed. You know, I uh, basically got to the point where I was about to turn thirty, and um, had a wife who was uh, saying, "Hey, it's about time to have kids." Uh-huh. And I was gone, you know, Monday through Friday. Didn't really have much of a home life. And so I, uh, I'll, I'll always remember I was uh, stuck in an airport on a Friday night. I think it was Chicago. Dormant, and I had to check into a hotel at like 2 a.m. And I had to wake up at 4 a.m. to go back to the airport and try to get a, get a flight back. And, and I was just like, I was just like, what am I doing with my life? What am I I doing? Like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? How am I going to have kids? Like, I don't want to be stuck in an airport and trying to get home with my kids. So right then and there, I just started, I just started Googling, you know, jobs around me, jobs that wouldn't require me to travel. And I I figured out very quickly that I I didn't want a real job. I I didn't want it. I don't, I'm not wired to have a real job. I'm, I'm wired to run my own thing. So kicked around different, different business ideas and, um, and eventually settled on real estate for the reason that I wanted to create passive income. I want to be, I want to put the work in up front. And it is a lot of work up front and kind of create a big snowball. Mm-hmm. And I want that snowball to give me money every single month. And uh, so I really just so I was like, that seems like a really cool idea. I'm going to learn about rental properties and I'm going to buy one. And um, I spent about a year and a half kind of learning, started looking at properties and we had a decent amount of money saved up from our jobs because we had really good jobs and um, bought my first, bought my first uh, rental property in 2015. All right. Yeah, I kind of remember that process because that's when you and I first got introduced. And I remember walking with you around my neighborhood and there was one property that we looked at together and you kind of gave me the lowdown on like the numbers that you're looking for in order for it to be uh, productive for you. So why don't you break down what the science is on what those numbers are for anybody else trying to look to get involved. And I, man, when I told that, about that to you, I, uh, I was just getting started, man. And just <laughs> <laughs> looking back on that, I've changed so much. But so basically the first thing that I look for is it, it, it is highly market dependent. So first of all, you, you, you always, regardless of what market you want that property to cash flow positive. And basically what that means is after you pay the mortgage and the taxes and the insurance and account for vacancy and repairs and even paying a property manager, you want to be putting $100, $200, at least in your pocket on average each box. Now, the trick is, you know, how do you find those types of properties? Because here's, here's a news flash. You can't just buy a random property and expect that it's going to put dollars in your Right. So you have to buy the right property. So I would say the first thing that I look for just as a general filter 
is it's called the 1% rule. So, and that means that you want the property value, you want the monthly rent of the property to be 1% of the property value. So if it's a $100,000 property, you want it to rent for $1,000 a month. Okay. So it's, a, it's a duplex and it's uh, so it's two units and you're buying it for 150. You'd want each unit to be rented for $750 a month. That's just a general, a general filter. So if you're looking at, that's if you're looking at a hundred properties and you, you make a list of your properties and you have values and you have estimated rents. And if you have, you know, properties that you're buying to buy for 200,000, but they'll only rent for a thousand, cross them off the list. Yep. And then narrow it down to those five to 10, you know, that'll meet that 1% rule. The 1% rule. That is exactly what I remember you telling me about too. And I've kept it in mind since. And since then, you know, I've purchased one property and it's coming along good. Um, We're finally coming down the home stretch. But that's a flip, right? Yeah, that's a flip. Yeah, so that's that's just a completely different set of roles. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and segue into what the rules are for a flip that worked for you. And so I would say this applies to whether you're gonna fix it up and and sell it or whether you're gonna fix it up and keep it. And that's really kind of one of the, the main things that I do now is I fix up properties and I, and I keep them. And that's a really awesome way to, to build wealth. So basically what it's called, it's called the 70% rule. 70% means if you take Let's say you buy a property for, well, let's start with the end in mind. Let's say the after repair value. So after you put in X amount into the property, you want it to be worth 200,000. So you look at the comps and you say, all right, properties in good condition in that area are 200,000. And then you say, multiply that 200,000 by 70%. So that's 140,000. And then you say, How, what's my rehab going to be? So you walk through and you say, all right, I'm going to put 40000 into it. So you subtract the 40000 from the 140 to get a hundred, mm-hmm. And that's how much you need to buy that property for to ensure that you're making a decent profit after you sell. Okay. So you're, you're all in for 140 but you're going to have closing costs. You're going to have holding costs. Um, if you're like me and you need to, to borrow money to make that purchase and to do that rehab, you're going to have to pay interest. And then you're going to have to pay a realtor to help you sell the property on the back end. Really, when it's all said and done in, in that example, you know, maybe you profit 20 or 25. So that's about an average is what you would consider? Yeah. Yeah. 20 to 25. That's a... Uh... That's not bad. I hope I'm in that uh, range when that comes up. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think based on the numbers you said, it sounds like you guys are doing pretty good. Yeah, it, it should go up. You are doing a lot of the work yourself, so that's yep. what I'll say on the uh, yeah. So that is the 1% rule, and that is the 70% rule. So yep. I, I want to jump into... Your empire now. Yeah. <laughs> so you started off with one property 
And that was in about 2016 is what you said. So 2015 was my first property that was a four unit. Okay. So since then, how many properties have you acquired up to date? So I was trying to remember before the call because I honestly lose track of properties <laughs> um, because we're, we're doing flips as well. So we're buying and selling, buying and selling. Okay. Um, so uh, as far as rental properties right now, it's 18 properties. And Ooh. Units. Okay. So I also, and I follow you on your blog too. And I noticed that, you know, underperforming assets, you'll sell those off. And then you yeah. use those proceeds in order to get another asset. Exactly. So how explain that strategy to the people so they understand how you break that down. Oh yeah, dude. This kind of stuff gets me fired up. So um, <laughs> so I'll and, and, and let me back up because I would say there's two things that made my portfolio really springboard. And so the, the one thing is like I said that I'll buy a property and fix it up and keep it. That's called the Burr method. B R R R R. I don't know how many R's. So it's <laughs> buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So it basically means so let's say let's say in that two hundred thousand example, I buy a property for a thousand, put forty into it, it's worth two hundred now. I'll go to the bank and I'll say, and let's say it rents for 2000 I'll go to the bank and say, hey, I have a property that's worth 200000 I'm going to refinance my mortgage and they'll give me 80%. 80% of two hundred is one sixty. Mm -hmm. Basically, what I just did is I took 140000 plus some holding costs, put it into a property, refinance with the bank, get all that money back, and now I have a cash flowing asset. Now I take that money and put it into another one. <laughs> do it again, refinance, get the money back. I have another cash flowing asset. Your properties are starting to snowball. Take that money and put it into another one. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Now the rental cash flow is growing. My principal stays the same. Right. It's left with little to no money in the deal. So, I mean, that's really how the that's how I think we're really growing the portfolio. And then what really kind of helps to ratchet it up is like what like you were saying. First of all, I'm buying right, but I'm buying low, adding value, refinance and getting my cash back. Now what I'll do is okay, on paper, you know, these properties are all supposed to cash flow, right? Like right. In my math, it's not how it happens in real life. I mean, it's that same. If you're doing what you do, if you're picking stocks or you know picking yep. options, like it's not always going to work out. You know, <laughs> I mean, you get bad tenants, you get water issues or whatever. So yeah, I I track my properties religiously even before I did the website, but I, I put it on the on all on the website now. It helps to hold me accountable to other people. Mm -hmm. Then I started, I mean, I had my, you know, I had my list of properties that were on the chopping block. And I, I just always knew, right, when the time's right, I'm going to sell these suckers. The, the tool that I use 
and that a lot of real estate investors use is called a 1031 exchange. What that means is, so you sit, so I have these properties that I've, I've added value to, you know, and, and the market's going up too. So look, last year, 20, mid 2020, right? Like the market's going crazy. And I'm like, I just had a tenant move out <laughs> and all the values are up like 20,000. Like let's, let's sell this. Go. Yeah. And so what you do in a 1031 exchange is you sell the property. And normally if you just sell a property, an investment property, you're going to get hit with capital gains. Okay. So at the end of the year, you know, I mean, it could be thousands, thousands. I, I think I've calculated last year, I would have paid like 10,000 in capital gains because I, I sold three properties. So with a 1031 exchange, you sell a property, you have certain rules that you have to adhere to, and then you take that equity from that property and you invest it in another bigger property. Okay. So last year I sold three single family homes and they were all my losers. They were cash, basically cash flowing zero. So three single family homes were making zero dollars per month. I bought a two unit, a three unit, and a five unit. And they put about $1,500 in my pocket. And that was all tax-free and through this 1031 exchange. So I just moved that. I had equity that wasn't making me any money. Put it into properties that, again, on paper, will, will make me. <laughs> so, but that's, that's how you really start the snowball and how you really wrap it up. I mean... I mean, last year when I did that, that was when I went, it, I, I felt like I was going big time. I saw. And, and I, I felt like, you know, I, and I noticed it right away in my numbers that I was like, oh my God, I don't have these properties that are dragging my cash flow down. I now have very cash flow rich properties. So it's, a, it's an awesome tool. It's definitely a more advanced tool. I think if you're in this game for, for the long haul, it makes, in a lot of cases, it makes a lot more sense to hold on to a property for three to five to seven years. Okay. Pay that debt down, let the value go up a little bit, then take that equity that you got in that property, put it into a, a, a bigger property, and then just keep, and then just keep doing it. So that is how you can build your wealth through real estate. It takes time, but if you're willing to dedicate it, you'll get to where you want to go. So um, one of the last questions that I got for you is, as you have mentioned several times, on paper, <laughs> everything always looks good when you put it on paper. So what are some pitfalls that you have run into on this journey and how did you overcome them? So the one second property that I ever bought was a townhouse and I paid, I, I, I didn't know what the 1% rule was. Okay. And I didn't know how to do my homework. I, I felt like oh, on paper, you know, I could rent, it was a nice townhouse. I was like, I could rent it for 1500. I paid 175 for it. Didn't hit the 1% rule. And I, and I, I didn't know about that until after I bought it. And then a tenant moved out after a year, I rented it for, in 1550 and it moved out 
couldn't find another tenant who was willing to pay that much. But I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to do that research up front. That was that was one mistake. But again, you know, I mean, it's almost like you got to learn by doing. And yeah, you know, it's like a it's like a kid learning to walk, and you you trip a couple times, but then you learn. You know, okay, don't you know, don't do that anymore. So. Other issues, I mean, physical issues like water. Water is the worst thing for a property. We've just had so many water issues. So uh, I would say I, I spend a lot of time looking at basements right now. Like if I go to look at a new property, I'll spend a lot of time looking at the foundation, looking for damp areas in, in the basement. I've learned how to waterproof a basement so i know the right people to follow you know i'm looking at the gutters and i'm looking at the grading you know i'm just looking at all that stuff and i spend a ton of time looking at that and not so much looking at how pretty the property is because i know i'm going to make it pretty eventually right right i bought a couple properties in indianapolis and two i bought three and two of those are the ones that i ended up selling you know, with, with those, I would just say, and, and that's long distance for me because I, I live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania. So I would say if you're buying long distance, just be careful and learn the area, but also learn the people that you're working with because you really need to rely on the boots on boots on the ground. That said, I mean, I, I have, have my own team locally. Like I, I have really learned from the from a property management standpoint, I'm largely hands-off, but I can meet with my team within 10 minutes. I mean, we meet every two weeks. We, we just go and meet for drinks every two weeks and do a, do a recap on, on the business. Like, these are the rentals that we have going now. You know, these are, you know, we have, we have all good tenants, but they'll say, oh, these are tenants that are thinking about moving out. So we're gonna need to get a new tenant in here. And then we talk, we talk about units that are being rehabbed. So I would say team, I mean, team is so important, which I mean, that starts with just networking and just asking a ton of questions and finding other like-minded people. So, and I, and I never, I never set out, I, I never go to lunch with someone and say, oh, this person could be my partner. Like I, I, I go to lunch and I just want to meet that person and learn about them learn from them, provide value to them if I can, we'll become friends. And then years down the road, hey, maybe we should partner on this deal together. <laughs> something you want to do? Like, it's like, so it's like your friend, you know? Like, yeah. but you, you built that friendship based on a common interest of business and, and real estate. So right. that's kind of how I've, how I've built my team. They're, they're an, an awesome group. We're continuing to kind of expand the team as well because we, I mean, we've built a, a nice, a nice little local network. So that's the, that's that's a big one too. So last question: When COVID hit last year, a lot of people obviously panicked, and one of the things about real estate that I often get a question on is what happens when a tenant moves out or how do you handle situations like that? But when COVID, it was a unique situation because there were some laws initiated that didn't allow you to evict tenants and they didn't have to pay. So 
how do you handle situations when you have a tenant that doesn't pay or when you get some laws that are not in your favor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last, last year was very scary. <clears throat> so I guess, first of all, is I personally believe in being very, I guess you would call it fiscally conservative, meaning I know that I have a lot of debt. So I, I have a lot of debt payments every month. I, I got I to pay the bank. But I, I've done my homework and I know that I'm going to be pulling in so much rent as well. Right. But I know that some months could be bad months. You know, if, if, I, if I have vacancy or if I have tenants who, who can't pay. So kind of my, my philosophy has been to keep an embarrassingly large amount of cash reserves. I, I mean, I'm talking tens of thousands in cash plus multiple unused lines of credit, you know, so that if the worst case would happen, I can ride through several months easily, easily, and sleep like a baby at night. That's all. That's just always been my philosophy. The the more units that that we have, the more I believe in just keeping a healthy amount of cash reserves. Number one, entry coded. You know, that's the situation that I was in. Is that I never overcommit my my right. cash. So <laughs> so, but dude, it was it was crazy. I mean, as, as you know, and as as a lot of people went through this is. You know, as we were going through March last year and we're like, okay, uh, we can't evict tenants. And I, I was like, I was like, no one's going to pay. Right. No one is going to pay. That was the big fear. They don't, they don't have to pay. So they're not going to pay. And so I, uh, I looked at my cash reserves. I looked at all of my debt obligations. I said, I said, okay, if I, if I don't take for how long could I survive if no one paid? Okay. And I think it was 15 months. Okay. So we could survive for 15 months if no one paid. And I was like, you know what? That's if I don't take any for payments. I'm yeah. like, I, I think we're going to be okay because maybe stop people. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, I, I did have some sleepless nights in, in March kind of figuring <laughs> all that out. And then April 1st came around. Every single person paid. Sweet. And we're like, ah, well, you know, in, in May, you, you know, we'll probably have some people that not being able to pay. May 1st came around. Every single person paid. We're like, what's going on? <laughs> so here's here's my here's my conclusion. If they were a iffy tenant before COVID. Pe- you know, people are the way they are. You know, right, right. If they, if they didn't have respect, respect to honor their commitments before COVID, then they were the same after COVID. Correct. If you get the right person in there who's going to respect you, respect your property, and pay on time, you know what? COVID hit, and they're like. I made an agreement with my landlord right. to pay the rent, and the, and these were good people, and they and and they paid. So I, I I will you know 
it surprised me. It restored my faith in humanity a little bit. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it really ended up not being a, a big issue at all. And, and you know, from a rental cash flow standpoint last year, I mean, I was right on target. So we, we did eventually have, you know, a couple of people who ended up having to move out or like miss, I think we had a missed month maybe in July or something like that, but it was like one unit. So, yeah. I mean, when you have, I mean, at the time, I think I had 30, 30 some units. That's the thing. Like once you get enough units, if you have one person who doesn't pay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, if you have two units and one person doesn't pay, that hurts. Um, you're probably coming out of pocket that way. To me, I think it's kind of like building a diverse portfolio. Think about if you're invested in 46 different stocks and some go up and some, some go down, but overall, the whole thing's going up. Whereas if you just invested in two stocks, there's, there's more risk. You actually hammered home the point to the answer that I've given the people too, is it's always going to depend on the people that you get. Now you've got some lower quality tenants. You've witnessed it. If you have that, they're going to continue to be low quality tenants. And if you put the right person in the property, like you mentioned, you don't have to worry about it. And that's the same like with the stocks. You know, you buy a quality stock, you don't have to worry about COVID and all that type of stuff. Because at the end of the day, it will continue to appreciate because it's always been a quality stuff. So absolutely. Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're hitting about 30 minutes now. And I want to take the time out to thank you for taking the time out to chat with me, let everybody know on how my Empower Empire is coming through, man. You know, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate you, man. Much love to you and your wife, your kids, everything, man. You know, I always wish much success to you, brother. Thank you so much. and. Same to, to you and your family. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. You know, um, absolutely. Let's let's check in in a year or two, and maybe I'll be at 460 units. <laughs> That's the goal. 460. All right. Stocks and bars. Thank you, Kyle. We're gonna get into these bars. Ah. Oh. I kick investment raps Leave it to X and teach how to invest with rap The stock market hip-hop, I'm the best with that 20 years strong, got any questions? Ask Start small, your progress will stack In a short time, you'll be impressed with that It's addictive, you'll do what is best to stack When you see your money growing and the only thing you did was slept In fact, you'll stop spending money on things When you realize you won't make your investment back Our music used to tell us to invest with crack Yo, that message is Dead. We doing this instead, we getting rich, I'ma up the odds Stocks and bars, stay spitting Warren Buffett bars Dividend stocks, options, long-term investing for the bread Multiple streams, how you want it, huh? Stocks and bars, stocks and bars, stocks and bars, stocks and bars